perspective is an interesting concept for everyone. The way you arrive at yours often informs the way you make decisions, arrive at goals and objectives, and aspire to achieve more. Justin Nappé is a change coach who is on a mission to provide people with the tools necessary to gain more ownership and agency over their lives. In a nutshell, he teaches people how to master perspective shifting. He joined me this week to have a conversation about putting life in the proper perspective, how to develop a proper mindset, and flourishing in all aspects of a fulfilling life. I'm Kevin McShann. Let's have this conversation. Thank you. No, thanks for having me. So, Justin, I know that you're on a mission to help people gain more ownership over their lives. So I'm wondering if you can tell me all about the great work that you do, Bonnie. Sure. Um, a lot of it is has got to do with the, the way that we think. Um, usually creates a type of a perspective of, you know, if we feel that we have control over what's going on or, or there's something for us to do and there's a, an ability for us to actually do an action. It actually gives us focus. It gives us a feeling of, uh, of power and um, it makes us, it helps us to, to be able to relate better. So there's this idea of like raising your skills with regard to how much you can control. And we see this in, in sometimes in a negative way with people who, let's say, go to the gym and they over-exercise and they usually push themselves too hard. And there's a sense of control that we can get with our, our physical environments that doesn't match our emotional environments or let's say our intellectual environments. And so really helping people to understand what areas they can take control in with first understanding well, what's going on and where can we actually influence the particular situation or the particular um, context. So that's, that's what I help people do is really stop, observe, you know, deconstruct the particular environment and then determine what are their, uh, what are their resources that they've got? Cause in some cases, you know, a diamond is just a stone. And in other cases, a diamond is something that you can use to purchase something with. So whatever that resource is for some people that could be, um, you know, uh, something that they consider a weakness in, in a lot of contexts could be a great asset. Yeah, absolutely. And, as a, a follow-up to that point, Justin, I, I'm, I'm curious to ask you, how do you think people, and when you work with people, how do you think they can put life in the proper perspective? I think the easiest way to say this 
you know, like the, it's a great question, you know, like, is there a, like a proper perspective for life? And I'm a huge believer in the process rather than the destination, you know, the process of consistently, you know, categorizing something is what our brains naturally do. Like we label things. This is good. This is bad. This is something I like. This is something I don't like. And the proper perspective is understanding that these things will shift and change. And I think I've seen a lot of results and, and I think personally that it serves people better to constantly reevaluate this idea and look at things and say, does this serve me or does this not serve me? You know, so I love coffee, but does coffee serve me? No, not really at the moment. Okay, well, let me change my perception, my understanding of coffee. So really the proper perspective of life, just to answer that quickly, is change. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Jesser, he would certainly classify as an international man of mystery and someone <laughs> who embraces cultural experiences, buddy. I know that you live in Texas now, but you're originally from uh, South Africa. You spent 13 years in England, buddy, uh, with, a, with a year in each of Indonesia, France, and um Argentina, buddy, so tell me, and Thailand, so tell me all about your international travels and what you've learned about yourself by, by traveling internationally, buddy. I think the, you know, whenever, whenever anybody kind of moves to a new country, it starts with this idea of like, what, why am I giving up everything that I know? And that challenging going into the unknown is always scary. And so you do test the limits of your own, your own fear, your own abilities. And it, it does for a lot of people going into the unknown is almost paralyzing, you know, where they just sit there in fear, a little bit frozen. And so, you know, the amount of times that I did it, it became like, you know, for some people, oh, you're, you're moving across country or you're moving to a new country. Oh my gosh, that's a huge change. Whereas for me, it's like, ah, it must be a Tuesday, you know? And I think, um, you know, taking something that's challenging and just repeating it a couple of times and seeing that actually, you know, there are manageable steps and there are normal things that everybody as a human can experience when facing change and challenge. And so like, I, I think that that was one of the biggest things where before, let's say moving to Indonesia, I saw danger around every corner or, you know, I saw, you know, uh, people trying to take advantage of me everywhere. And that changed considerably with the kindness of others. And so that's one of the things that's really changed in me is the trust in others' kindness. Yeah, 100%. And I know for your life journey, buddy, you've been obsessed with thinking patterns and information. So I'm wondering if you can tell me what drives that part of your brain to be so uh, consumed with that part of life, buddy. Uh, it, it ties up with the, the travel, Kevin, you know, like a lot of it was this idea of, um, you know, you go to a country and you say things like, well, they, that's not how we do it in my country, or that's not how we do it where I'm from. And you start to figure out like, oh, well, I guess people have a different reason for doing that, or they think about it differently, you know, like, so Canadians are very much, and I'm sure you're the same. You're very much a compromising people as in like, well, if I get a little bit, then you can get a little bit as well. And everybody wins. And it's a very much a win-win culture versus, um, you know, the U S tends to be a winner take all culture. Like I will be the best. I will be the one. Um, and each culture actually has their own kind of logic behind it, their own drivers and things like that. And it's very beautiful to see that, that thought patterning, that reasoning, how people live life. 
And I think one of the, the bigger things is, is looking at these conditioned thinking patterns culturally. Um, and, and then we start to expand it out to, to understand, you know, what are the thinking patterns of the hero in a movie? You know, uh, Bruce Willis in Die Hard was always super cool until you realized that he was just a guy bumbling around, not knowing what's going on, but just shooting people, literally. Like he has no idea what was happening. And, uh, you know, is he such a hero? I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's certainly <laughs> a question to answer, isn't it? <laughs> right. You know, as, as we look at changing our, our thought behaviors and our cultural experiences, you always you also say that, that it's always important to let it be a nat natural product of life in terms of allowing change and embracing the concept of it. So I'm wondering if you could dive into greater detail on that for me this morning. Uh, sure. I think a lot of you know pain and emotional suffering really comes from unpacking what we experienced when we were developing, you know, like as, as children, we develop as teenagers, we develop a little bit more social identity, things like that. And it's only at the age of 25 ish where like our brain f finishes the final development parts. And so like a lot of that, we feel that we have our identity by that time. And to, to question that identity is very difficult. And a lot of people don't manage that change well or that questioning well. So, you know, rooting yourself in change for cultural experiences and things like that requires that people um, challenge a lot of behaviors and patterns that come from, you know, very, very old places, very well-conditioned places like childhood, relationships with parents, you know, the experience with the bully, the experience with friends, you know, all of it. And, and being able to kind of look at that objectively and say, well, these are the things that, that happened to me while I couldn't really think about it. I couldn't really control it. And now that I have control, now that I, I can think about it, what can I do with it? What are my resources? What would I like to change? And, and it comes back to that idea of agency and ownership. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I wanted to also talk to you about goal setting. You know, I help a lot of people with goal setting. And for me, uh, there are three steps to setting a goal. What's the, what's the reason you're setting the goal? What are your resources? And what's your time frame for accomplishing mm. that goal? Because I think when you give yourself a time frame, you give yourself uh, reasonable expectations and you hold yourself accountable. So I'm wondering your philosophy on goal setting as well this morning. You know, uh, it's quite interesting because my, my philosophy may, might be polarizing. So I don't know if you would agree with me, actually, Kevin. Um, my philosophy is actually about the goal setting about um, there's multiple types of goals. Like, for example, you know, your foundational life. If you want to change something in your life, like, let's say uh, I want to be able to speak, I don't know, Spanish, then the idea is that it's not a goal to reach because that goal could take years you know, depending on you, depending on how much energy you want to invest in it. Uh, you know, like I always talk to people about your time and energy budgets. 
You know, we can talk about money as well, like your financial budgets, but your time and energy budgets are a big deal. So that's how, that's how I kind of work with it first. And that usually develops a time frame. but sometimes goals have a deadline. And so then I'd absolutely switch to the system that you're talking about, like really get into the details of it. And we start to try and work everything that we can. But I think in general, the one that I like is to set goals that are, I want to do this on a regular basis every week. And the result becomes a byproduct of me just putting it into my life. You know, so if I want, if I want to speak Spanish, but I have no deadline, I'm just interested and curious about languages, then I invest a little bit of time each week. And that becomes my goal. My goal becomes the thing of, can I automate this habit into my life? Can I make this habit something that I enjoy, something that I find accomplishment in, or I can connect with communities through? And we start to look at like, what are the greater human emotions to connect with our goals and our habits as well? When we talk about emotions and, and habits, I'm wondering your thoughts on how passion is intertwined in that equation, because, you know, when we're not passionate about uh, setting a goal or achieving an objective, it takes us obviously longer because we're not motivated, right? So I'm wondering mm -hmm. how you think passion is intertwined into this discussion as well. Uh, so it's actually very, very cool. Uh, I like I like looking at a lot of neuroscience. And the neuroscience works on this idea of like uh, association and then transference. So if I associate passion with something else already in my life, the question is, is how much can I transfer over to this new thing that I actually don't feel passionate about? So there might be some resistance there that we need to unpack. Like, why are you dispassionate about this thing? Like, what, what do you feel is coming up? You know, maybe it's because you had a negative association when you were younger with something similar, you know, for whatever it is, like, let's say learning chess and your, your, your brother hit the chessboard out of your hands when you were young, and now you don't want to feel that, that memory. And so it's a, bit, a little bit of resistance, but if you've got passion for something like, uh, you know, a classical music, there's always a bridge to the new thing and it's finding those bridges. What is your passion? Let's say a lot of people are very passionate about learning the languages that sound beautiful. Like, you know, French, French always sounds beautiful to people, but no one's super passionate about, or very few people are super passionate about learning languages that don't sound beautiful. Something like any language that's in the back of the throat, but actually you can find a way to connect with it. It's just about finding that, that bridge of passion. So in, in the language sense, this is this idea of swearing in those languages always feels so good, you know, or very emotive poetry or shouting at people when you can really feel the expressions in your throat, it actually feels good. It feels great, you know, and some of it is also cultural. So, you know, like if we're talking about Arabic, the poetry in Arabic is just beautiful and they had a renaissance of literature in the past. And so there's always a way. It's just always about finding that bridge and what inspires you which starts with self-awareness. Yeah, absolutely. And you talk about uh, self-awareness. I know you went through a process personally where you had to reframe your mind and, and uh, perspective on life. So I'm wondering if you can tell me about it. Oh, is this the, the, the reference to the suicides? Yeah, the, the suicide attempt. I'm, I'm curious, how did you come uh, away 
uh, from gaining a different perspective. So the the interesting thing in my my experience, you know, and of course, you know, I'm not a I'm not a licensed professional of psychology or anything like that. So, um, you know, I, I do speak from my own experience. the The idea with depression, the idea with these types of things. Um, that led me to two suicide attempts where one, I obviously didn't resolve the issues. And then the second time I did it, I really made an effort to resolve the issues. The reasoning behind that was because of the the pressure of the, the conditioned mindset. So in South Africa, there's this idea of what success looks like. And if you are not on the path to that success, somehow you are a waste of space. Somehow you are useless. You are, um, you know just not worth it. Uh, not enough is the, the, the term I was looking for. You're not enough. And I got to that place where, you know, I was telling myself that I was not enough. And when you get there, you reframe it. And the way that I reframed it was to say like, eh, well, so what if I'm not enough? Let me find a place where I can help people anyway. And I made it about others. So the reframe for me that really uh, I preach a lot, that, that I, comes through a lot when I work with people, is the idea of if you want to get out of your own head, then go and serve others. And there's a, lot of, there's a lot of data to support this as well. If you want to feel better, spend time and energy really trying to improve life for someone else. And it's not, a, it's not a way to bypass your own problems. Like you do need to deal with your own issues and things like that and, you know, work through that type of stuff. But it's a great, it's a great little hack, you know, to be able to help other people, you know, as a way of making sure that you get out of your own head. Yeah. And I know for you, Bobby, that you achieved a master's degree without an undergraduate degree at the age of... 34, so tell me about that level of motivation and what uh, drove you to such higher heights, buddy, at such a young age. You know, a lot of it was also not a, a feeling of not enoughness. You know, in South Africa, it's also this, this concept that, you know, uh, university education, you have to pay for out of your own pockets. And my family wasn't, you know, well, we didn't have the funds or the money to really to send me to any universities. So I, I traveled instead. And when most people were finishing their university degrees, I was in London washing dishes, for example. Um, you know, I worked in kitchens a lot because I didn't want to talk to people. And uh, so eventually when I had the opportunity, I was, I was faced with this idea of I need to put something behind my name. I need to, I, I don't feel like I have enough authority. And of course, once I got my master's degree, I saw that that was nonsense. And I'm like, ah, it doesn't matter. You know, these things behind you don't matter. What matters is more is your experience and how much you can help people. But it was a great experience. And going through that process, I realized that an undergraduate degree versus a master's degree, the master's degree is actually offered to professionals. Most people don't know. But if you can show 10 years experience in a particular field, you can bypass the undergraduate degree and go directly to the master's degree. And that's what I was interested in because the undergraduate degree was stuff that I already knew. It was stuff that I had read before out of my own passions, my own curiosities. And so the master's degree came along and I was at the time I was presenting uh, at language teacher conferences, international ones next to my professors. So I, I knew a lot of the stuff that they were talking about. They were much more technical than I was, but I came from a place of experience. So I definitely didn't see it as 
something that was particularly challenging. The biggest, the biggest hurdle between you and me was the academic style. And I, I wasn't used to that because I didn't come from an academic background. But the rest of it was, uh, it was stuff that had been around. And if you had a natural learning curiosity, a natural passion, it's stuff that you would have read about anyway. Mm -hmm. And tell me, Justin, I'm, I'm curious to ask you about how we can make sure that people are more relatable in the sense of understanding that sometimes when we have communications, we will have disagreements, but we can meet people so, sort of on the level where they are and still have constructive conversations. If we disagree with that person or if we agree, how can we come to a better sense of uh, a human consensus, I guess, if that makes no, it does. It does. It's actually something that I've, uh, you know, I've worked with a, a few people are around is, is the sense of communication and from both sides of it, what you put down and what you're picking up. And I think one of the biggest things is to understand in the West nowadays, we've got this concept, which is like the power of words. You need to choose your words carefully. And I believe in rather the power of meaning over that. Don't choose your words carefully, but instead understand what is the meaning that you're conveying and what is the meaning that this person is conveying. You know, so if a person says, shut up, I don't want to talk, they're not being malicious. They're being protective and they're communicating that it's painful. And if we understand that, if we take that meaning from it, and so it's basically learning to translate people's words into feelings. And that's something that I do a lot um, is, you know, being able to translate their their words into feelings also means that you need to understand well how do different people translate different emotions into vocabulary and that's i think one of the biggest things is number one don't assume that people are malicious because people are not most humans are when they seem malicious they're just actually looking to make themselves feel better you know uh it's usually because there's some pain there as well so that's point number one. And I think that point number two is the idea of most people just don't know how to communicate, how to get their needs met. And that's a big deal. That's a huge deal because that could, that could absolutely dissolve a lot of conflict. Yeah. And to that point, Justin, I do. So I have a lot of passion for developing an inclusive culture for folks with disabilities because, as you know, from doing your research on me, I was born with cerebral palsy. So I'm all about uh, promoting diversity, equity, and inclusion. So in that, that sense, how do you think we can develop a more inclusive societal existence for individuals with disabilities? I think a lot of people, you know, when, we, when you talk about like inclusion, a lot of it is, has to do with exposure and knowledge. And people are usually scared of things that they're not, you know, uh, experts at. You know, they don't like to go there because nobody likes to feel like um, the newbie. Nobody likes to feel like the amateur. And really, that's where the spirit of, of learning and, and passion grows from, is exposing yourself to things that you're not good at. I do think that when we talk about business and employers, there's something that you said in one of your other videos that really caught my attention, which is that, you know, businesses are, are missing out on an incredible opportunity 
with inclusion of people with disabilities in the workplace. And I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that a lot of businesses are scared about or you're fearful about the 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 cost benefit relationship like you know what's the the dependability or what's uh what what can i expect what do i need to do you know like oh i don't want to mess this up you know and it's a lot of it's a, there's a lot of resistance there in terms of things that they need to address exposure things like that so i think that it starts with a conversation it starts with more exposure it starts with you know putting people in front of you you know, a lot of it has got, just got to do with the people who make the decisions. Usually, um, if they are, you know, pro-inclusion for people with disabilities, it's the idea that they've had experience with people with disabilities and they know how to frame and understand, um, you know, what are the needs that the business needs to, um, to, to bring, as well as then what are the expectations that the business can also put on the, the worker. I think it's just a simple matter very simply put, of increased exposure, especially at the beginning stages for it. And as well as good communication of, you know, what a person's needs are, what the business's needs are, um, you know, as well as how to operate, the knowledge of how to operate. Other than that, I don't, I don't really see um, any big issues that are coming up you know, it's really just got to do with exposure. And most people, once once they've had that initial exposure, which could be a little bit scary, you know, uh, the first time that you, uh, let's say, um, you are the fourth person that I've, you know, that I've met, that I've made friends with, with cerebral palsy. And and so the first time that I, I, I didn't know how to act because it was out of what was normal for me. Like, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to, you know, interact with a person with cerebral palsy? And it took time. It just took time to overcome that and be like, I'm not doing anything wrong by asking these questions as well. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more in, in the sense that I always tell people that... If you don't know, ask the questions because, you know, an increase in education also leads to an increase in understanding as well. Exactly, exactly. That, I couldn't agree with you more. An increase in education and the transparency of communicating my emotions. Like, I'm unsure how to communicate. Can you give me some guidance? Can you lead? And so that's the big deal as well is that, you know, I think that good leaders ask for others to lead them when they're unsure. Yeah, 100%. And you know, my final question today, Jason, has to do with your own personal or professional legacy and how you might want that to be defined. You know, beautiful, beautiful question. And I think that everyone should be able to answer this one. And, uh, you know, the, the big two for me are... And definitely the number one uh, that I, I really want my, my legacy to be is kindness. Kindness, as in people need to be kinder to themselves. They need to be kinder to others as well. You know, leading with kindness is very important. Very important. Especially people with power and authority, some kind of control. When they are kind, we never forget it. And we tend to pay it forward. So I think kindness is a big deal, a huge, huge deal. And then the second one, I think, is strategic uh, mental solutions. That's my secondary legacy. The idea that, 
people shouldn't be afraid of thinking and people should identify when they're getting into an emotional thought pattern, you know, um, some kind of mental loop. Mental loops usually exist because we don't know how to change our thoughts, change our thinking. And there's, there's, you know, there's a lot of solutions for people, but people are usually more, especially now, nowadays, there's a lot of sentiment in the West of, well, you know, I, I'm overthinking. I just need to feel more. But the interaction between thought and feeling is usually the wrong way around, as in like we tend to feel things that we know and be comfortable with the things that we know. We tend to get excited about things that are friendly to us. And that takes us out of a place of feeling fear. You know, if usually when we go into those places of fear, we dissolve fear. So it's very good for building resilience. And by just leaning into feeling, we actually, we rob ourselves of very rich experiences as well. So that's my second, this is the second answer to that question. The kindness and uh, elegant mental solutions. Absolutely. And finally, tell me, if people want to get connected with you, Justin, what's the best way they can do that? Uh, easiest way is uh, my website is, you know, it's just my name.com www.justinnopay.com and there's all the links on there and you know they can sign up to my newsletter I have a podcast as well called Thought Architecture Um, you know but that's uh, you know that's all on the website so it's probably just the easiest place yeah fantastic well you know I really enjoyed the opportunity to engage in conversation with you about uh, how to have the appropriate mindset and uh, perspective you work in the space and on behalf, it's most appreciated, and I want to thank you uh, for engaging in conversation with me, Bonnie. You're welcome. Thank you for having me again, Kevin.